0: All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Real Talk. With me in the co-host seat for this conversation is Jess Holman, who really is the perfect partner for our guest today, you will see. Uh, But Jess, thank you for being here with us.
1: Of course. Hi, everyone. My name is Jess Holman. I'm a graduate student at Central Connecticut State University. I'm studying student development in higher education, and Nicole's book, Pregnant Girl, has had a huge impact on my graduate studies. I found it just online because it was something that interested me, and I now dedicated my entire capstone project and my service learning project Mm -hmm. to supporting pregnant and parenting students. So I'm extremely excited to be here today.
0: Yes. And our guest today is Nicole Lynn Lewis, founder and CEO of nonprofit Generation Hope, author um, of the book Jess was just talking about Pregnant Girl, a story of teen motherhood, college, and creating a better future for young families, which came out in 2021 from Beacon Press, which I read over the Thanksgiving break. And we are so excited to talk with you today about both of those things, Generation Hope and your book. Um, Nicole, welcome to Real Talk.
2: Oh, I'm so honored to be here. And Jess, what an honor. I I am so glad you found found Pregnant Girl online. (laughs) I am (laughs) so so glad you
1: shared your story. So really, thank you.
2: (laughs) Oh, thank you.
0: Let's start with the book. Um, it's both your story and it's also the birth story of Generation Hope. Um, and it really gets at the complexities of teen pregnancy, humanizes people, um, and gets away from the stereotypes um, and the myths that are circulating, you know, that people just made bad choices. Um, and I think, you know, I would love to hear you share. Just a little bit of your story with our listeners. Um, one thing that really struck me is that we're so used to talking about people as statistics, um Mm. or just as singular stories. But you really in writing this memoir made real what it feels like to be a teenager and what it feels like to Mm. be I mean, you experience hardships, lots of them of various kinds, but also like just that feeling of being a teenager and being in love. And doing things that maybe this you know that this isn't good or people are telling you to do this or don't do that. But I remember that feeling and I was remembering it reading your book. Um, So anyway, I'm wondering if you would share with our audience just a little bit of of who you are and how you got here.
2: Yeah, well, I got pregnant my senior year of high school. Um, And so I came into the higher education journey in a totally different way than than many many students, and also than the typical student that people envision as coming into college. When I was accepted into the College of William & Mary, I was eight months pregnant and living day-to-day in a Motel 6. So, very different um, higher education experience. I was raised in a two-parent middle-class home. Both of my parents were college-educated and raised my sister and I from a very young age to value education, to put all of our our energy and and time into our education. And college was always the next step after high school. That was a given for my sister and I. And um, so here I was in my senior year of high school and I had a stack of college acceptance letters on one side of my Mm -hmm. dresser. And then on the other side, I had a positive pregnancy test. And it was really hard to see how those two things could coexist. How could I go to college and be a young mother? And I didn't have anybody in my community, my neighborhood, my school who had gotten pregnant and had Mm -hmm. gone on to college. It just didn't happen. Those girls disappeared. Um, If you saw them, they might be working in retail or fast food or something like that. Um, So I didn't have like a person that I could look to and say, well, so and so did it. And Mm -hmm. I knew that college wasn't set up. You know, for me to be successful, and uh, yet at the same time, there was this tension because I knew that college was going to be the the best way for me to provide for this little baby, and um, and so I had to find a way to to bring those two things together. And I ended up graduating from high school, barely, not because of academics, but because of absences, which is so common for young mothers. Mm-hmm. And I took the next year off, but I was in this incredibly tumultuous relationship with my daughter's father. Um, I was just living in two different worlds, you know, trying to go to college, trying to bring a baby into the world, and in this really dark day-to-day existence. Um, and it was hard. It was hard to... Just hold on to the hope that I could actually step foot on a college campus. And money was scarce. Like Mm -hmm. we didn't have money. Um, There were so many things that were working against me. And when I did start at William and Mary, you know, here I am on this beautiful campus, one of the first colleges in the country. um, And I was an anomaly (laughs) for so many reasons. I was. I was uh, no one looked like me. you know, very few people looked like me. There's you know very few black students at William and Mary. Um, no one was parenting. Uh, you know, people had resources and all of these things. They didn't have the responsibilities that I had. And so, you know, I had to navigate William and Mary um, as a young black mother and it was incredibly hard. Those 4 years were really difficult and I experienced so many of the things that we know parenting students experience every day, housing and food insecurity, how do you find childcare, um, you know, how do you find enough hours in the day, the time poverty, all of those things. And yet it was it was life-changing, mm-hmm. you know, for my daughter and I, I walked across the graduation stage holding her hand and mm-hmm. and it was incredible.
0: You know, as you're sharing this story, I'm thinking about Um, there were moments where you're talking about being a William and Mary and either being not finding a space that's comfortable to be with your daughter in the library or you're doing group work and it's like, well, you can't do this at night when other people are, are, have much more freedom and flexibility in their schedules. Um, or professors who were like, I'm sorry, I don't care that your daughter was sick, um, you didn't do this assignment, you weren't here for this test, like, that's it. And then you found other professors in um, the financial aid um, woman, people who really uh, allowed you to not only, like, continue the logistics of, like, continuing in school um, with financial aid or um, allowing you to do work in ways that, that fit your life, but also just that allowed you to find, like, some of your English professors Um to pursue like your lifelong love of, of writing and to really find a voice, um, and to get that, not just a college degree, but also have that experience that, um, I don't know, allowed you to develop as a whole person mm. in ways that you wouldn't have had access to before.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, it's, we always talk about college and and the impact of a degree in these economic and monetary terms know, right, right? Yeah, which yeah. you know makes perfect sense especially sure. for parenting students because we have to we have so many more financial responsibilities you know i remember sitting in my commencement ceremony, being excited, but then also being like, I need a job because I need to pay for daycare. Like I couldn't even really be in the moment because I was like, I need to pay for all these things. So it makes sense that we're we're really focused and we know the earning potential, right? That comes with a college degree. But one of the things that I think is so important too about education in general, but certainly higher education is that it gives people the opportunity to discover who they are and to discover their voice and their passions what they care about how they want to show up in the world and i think for students you know with fewer resources we rob them of that that opportunity yep. that's so critical right it's almost like a luxury that that we say you know they they don't deserve but in reality, everyone deserves that opportunity of self-exploration, and I certainly had that at William & Mary. I ended up doing a um, creative writing thesis my my uh, senior year, which a lot of people were like, are you crazy? Because here I was. I was parenting, and I was sometimes taking 18 credits a semester, and I was also student teaching because I wanted to get my teaching certification, and I took on an honors thesis in the midst of all that. But but I loved the experience of that thesis because I got to research these incredible Black women writers and who, who were talking about their lives in these like bold and incredibly vulnerable ways. Inspired me in my writing, and and I would not have had that opportunity, you know, had I not gone to William and Mary and had I not done that. So, I I want us to think more broadly about. The impact and benefits of a post-secondary credential. Yes, of course, we want families to have the the wages that they deserve and the wages that they need to provide for their for their their families, their children. Um, but we also want to give them space to figure out who they are and how they want to contribute to the world. I think that's equally important.
1: Absolutely. I um in my capstone project focused on like the theory of self self authorship which is really about kind of helping students view themselves as the author of their own story. And I think mm. so often that's something that we talk about, like a traditional 18 to 24-year-old college student without child care responsibilities achieving after they've graduated. Mm. But for so many students with caretaking responsibilities, whether for a child or for a parent, that's something that they kind of come into college having already authored their story. And I think mm. you sharing your story is really powerful because in your... Writing, you can kind of see how you are putting the pieces together and finding how all of these different parts of your identity show up in different spaces. And it sounds like that thesis writing process was really transformative and kind of seeing your voice as a continuation of the work that other women have been doing.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that you talked about too is like, you know, I, one of the questions that I often have for higher ed professionals is I ask them to whether or not they see parenting students as an asset or a liability to their campus communities. And if we're being honest, most higher ed professionals aren't thinking about parenting students, but if they are, they're often thinking of them as liabilities. And Mm -hmm. I love what you just talked about, because in reality, they're assets, Yeah, like they bring so much to our campus communities. They are, they are, are showing up as leaders already in their homes. They're having to navigate so many challenges. And so really they enrich our environment in in all of these different ways. And I saw that, you know, in in different ways in in our conversations in various classes where I had lived so many more years of life than many of my classmates, right, because of all the things that I had been through. And so when we're talking about oppression, when we're talking about poverty, when we're talking about parenting and family dynamics, like I was able to bring a totally different lens to that. And so I think, as you said, how can we shift also our thinking about this population as we need these voices, we need these authors, you know, in our, in our classrooms.
0: Absolutely. I mean, as a, as a faculty member, I'd say my strongest students, um, among my strongest students have been student parents. And I think part Mm. of it is they have a very clear purpose for why they're there, Mm -hmm. um, they do their work, you know, they participate in class in ways that, um, other folks don't, but there's a real, um, I think clarity and, and drive, even when they're dealing with a lot of, um, things that make it hard sometimes to come to class, they're always compensating. I remember I had one student who was a single father I had twin four-year-olds, um, and he was oh. a 911 operator and he, you know, in this class, a uh, entry-level class, but with a lot of assignments, um and did everything. And then, you know, I think missed one class maybe. And then one time he brought the four-year-olds to class because their school got canceled. I mean, just really, um, above and beyond. But I think the folks who struggle the most in college are people who don't know why they're there Mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons. Um, and yeah, so what are some of, let's talk about some of the myths, um, and the, the stories that we tell as a society about, um, pregnant teenagers or even just about poverty in general i mean there were some things in the book that as someone as a new father um who's been thinking you know experiencing what it's like to have a newborn baby i'm also thinking about this like wow if i had been 20 years younger when this was happening (laughs) like wow um but yeah what are some of the stories we have as a society and and where do you think we could shift those
2: Well, congratulations on being a new dad. That's exciting. Thank you. Thank you. I think one of the big things, especially as we're thinking about teen parents, is is we, you know, we see a teen pregnancy as being the first thing that's ever happened to that young person. And we envision that because of that teen pregnancy, all of these other bad things kind of happened, right? Mm-hmm. So we go back and say, well, if only they had not gotten pregnant, right, their life would be great, you know, they'd be able to do all of these other things. And in reality, what we see is that there are so many things that were happening and that were at play in that young person's life before the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so one big myth is that teen pregnancy causes poverty, and in reality, poverty causes teen pregnancy yeah. and a slew of other social issues. Um, and so as we're thinking about, um, you know, teen pregnancy prevention, we talk a lot about contraceptive use, contraception use and um, abstinence and, you know, all of these other things, access to informed, you know, healthcare decisions, all of these things that are very important. What we don't talk about is poverty yeah. and how poverty plays into um, a young person's ability to access resources and to access opportunities. And we don't talk about the role of race and oppression mm-hmm. in poverty. And so, you know, we see through our program so many young people who had all of these incredibly difficult situations going on in their lives way before mm-hmm. a teen pregnancy ever came into the picture. They may have um, lost a parent to um, to substance abuse. Um, we have students in our program who have been molested, who have been raped. Um, we have students in our program who have grown up in foster care, students who have dealt with extreme poverty and, and living in shelters, um, all sorts of things that it's hard to imagine how An individual would be able to hope in the the face of that kind of challenge. And um, I think that once we are able to take a step back and really look at the whole person and really look at the full picture of what's happening with young people in our country, particularly young people of color, we'll have a better sense of how do we really Wrap our supports around these young people and help them to thrive and access the supports that they need. And and, and I think it it also, as you talked about in the beginning, uh, you know, it dehumanizes mm-hmm. young people when we define them by this single moment in their lives. Right? We define them by homelessness. We define them by teen pregnancy. We define them by substance abuse or being in, involved in the ju- the justice system. What we need to do is take a step back. And see them as a full human being, mm-hmm. right? And, and one of the things that I wanted to do in Pregnant Girl was exactly as you talked about, there are these universal things like falling in love as a teenager, yeah. um, you know, being nervous on your first day of school, trying to find your locker, like all of the things. Mm-hmm. There's so many people who have read the book and have been like, I've never been a teen parent But I totally have experienced so many things, whether it's parents arguing or, you know, all of those things. And that's what pulls people in. That's what helps to humanize, um, you know, uh, humanize people who we often, again, we just define them in these very, very narrow terms that makes it hard for us to support and really rally around them in the way that we should.
1: Absolutely. I know something that Casey and I have talked about a lot is just like the language that we use to describe this population of students. Um, In my capstone research, it was interesting because like in the U.K., they use the term like students with caregiving responsibilities. And in the US, mm. there's a lot of different terms, but so often students don't come to me and be like, I'm a parenting student and I need help. It's like, mm. I'm really stressed usually- out and I have a two year old, right? Or they don't bring yeah. it up and then they later don't tell in their conversation. They tell exactly. Them what the student may be. They'll tell like a classmate. They'll tell someone that they trust, and they fear maybe asking the people who could more meaningfully give them that support. There's so
0: much stigma, and you know, you throughout the book are also like giving us a lot of historical, political, cultural context. But the way that we've demonized, especially mothers, teenage mothers, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as such a a drain on society, um, and that 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 stigma, I mean, it still exists, um, and that's why there's I think you know a lot of shame around. Disclosure, because it is people get defined by one thing and not seen as a whole person at all.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so interesting. I know that there's in the US, we use terms, we as Generation Hope use the terms parenting student and student parent interchangeably. Mm. And there are some students who love parenting student because they they're a parent first right Mm -hmm. that comes Mm -hmm. before everything else there are others that like student parent right and so you know it's interesting because I think sometimes we often get caught up in you know the language and 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 lose ourselves in the intent and and the you know the whole reason why we do this work um, which is to show up for these parents and to make sure that we're somebody that they can trust and go to but I think exactly as you said you know 16 and Pregnant, you know, Mm -hmm. that's a show that kind of put. Teen pregnancy on a national stage. And so sometimes people will say, oh, well, there's so much less stigma because now you don't have to whisper about teen pregnancy. And I'm like, well, you don't have to whisper about mm-hmm. it, but when you say it, <laughs> yeah. the reaction is still the same. Yeah. People have very strong opinions. Yeah. It's a very polarizing issue. There's so much negativity and there's assumptions about who you are, mm-hmm. what your potential is. Um and so you know, we we have a lot of work to do to help people see beyond those, you know, narrow definitions to really want to get to know the whole person, the whole student, um, and to see their potential and, and not just kind of put these restrictions on where they can go.
0: Yeah, it really, it also just, uh, you know, having witnessed my partner being pregnant in a complicated way and, and having a new baby, I, I I mean, I was struck by, and I've just been very immersed in those pregnancy parenting kind of conversations. And I'm, as I'm reading the book, I'm like, oh, wow, we never talk about things like miscarriage or postpartum depression Mm -hmm. when it comes to teenage parents. It's like a separate sort of a thing from conversations that, you know, happily we're starting to have more around women in general in society, Mm -hmm. but it's like, they don't get that even, um, consideration.
2: Exactly. Like miscarriage, traumatic birth. Mm Um, you know, we've heard stories of our scholars who have a C-section and their professors expect them to be back in class in, in the next you know week, oh um, you know, just there is not a there's no grace. Right. Mm. There's there's not grace and understanding and a desire to ensure that this person succeeds yeah. because there's this punitive approach. Um, and this feeling—well, you shouldn't have gotten pregnant in the first place. You shouldn't have had a baby. You know, you shouldn't be in this situation. And so now you have to deal with these consequences in a in an isolated way. And it's really harsh. And one of the things that I really try to stress in the book is that there's no good that comes of it. Nothing, you know, it's not like another young person looks at that teen mother or teen father and says, well, because of that, now I'm not going to go and have a baby. That's not the way it works, you know? And so it's not producing good in the world. It's not uplifting that parent and it's not creating a better future for that little one. And that's something we all should be invested in.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. and I know we we only have uh, about 10 more minutes and I want to make sure that we talk about the work that, that generation hope does um, because both with uh, scholars um, with student parents um, and then also with uh, ch- around children and caregiving um, and specifically I just I'm struck by the model um, that you've created and that you and your team have created around really like a, a sort of a high touch model with lots of connection lots of um, Interpersonal support. Um, so, I'm, would you just talk a little bit about, you know, how they, the work that you all do day to day?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the Scholar Program, which is our signature program, has been around since our inception. It really helps teen moms and teen dads. Uh, In their college journeys. And also we added an early childhood program about three or four years ago called Next Generation Academy. And that simultaneously helps their children get ready for early elementary school success with this idea that parents and children are more successful when they're being supported together in their Mm -hmm. educational dreams. And You know, the whole um, program with me being the founder of this organization was started with this population in mind. So it was really about how do we wrap supports around uh, these students. How do we holistically support them? Let's not just focus on their academics and ignore that perhaps they're getting evicted from their apartment at the end of the month, or they don't have enough food for groceries, um, or to ignore that their child is struggling, right, with reading or something like that. Um, But to really say, we want to talk about supporting this entire student and really this family mm-hmm. as they're working towards their degree. And that looks like financial and emotional supports. It looks like tuition assistance. We have always had an emergency fund before they were cool um, <laughs> with a 72-hour turnaround time. So we get oh, wow. those, those dollars to them very quickly. Um, we, have, we collect tangible items from the community, laptops, baby wipes, diapers, high chairs, all sorts of things that they might need. And then our emotional support, which is equally important. We uh, have a robust mentoring program. So we we connect them with mentors and caring individuals in the community who really are cheerleaders. They're the person you could text at 2 a.m. and say, oh my gosh, I have this teething baby and a midterm and I can't do it. You know, And someone who says, yes, you can, you got this, we're going to get through this. Um, we also have an incredible program team, um, which we call Hope, Co- Hope Coaches. And our Hope Coaches uh, really are working with that mentor and that student, and they're navigating a whole host of challenges. It could be Today, could you proofread my English paper? Tomorrow, I've had a domestic violence situation with my partner and I need help. Mm-hmm. Um, it really just runs the full gamut. And then we really seek to build a village of support around them. So it can be isolating to be a parenting yeah. student on a college campus. You're surrounded by 140 other young parents who are in college just like you and working, navigating the same things. So you get to create that connective tissue with other people with similar backgrounds and experiences that is so important for any college student, but certain certainly for this population. And so we do fun things like holiday parties and, you know, um, we do a big conference at the end of the year and we bring them together for workshops and things like that. Um, the other two big pieces are we have an on-staff mental health professionals. Um, so we really felt like it was important to have that where they built trust with us. So we have um, mental health professionals on staff. And then we also created a career readiness program specifically with their needs in mind. We mm-hmm. were finding that they weren't able to take advantage of the career opportunities on their campus. They might be happening at times where they have to be home with their little ones, sure. different restrictions. And so we do a whole in-house career readiness program to help build their resumes and and get them the experience that they need so they can get into that family sustaining job when they graduate. Hmm.
0: And I know that you all are based in the the DC metro area. And I'm curious, and I know that also um, you've got a program called Family U where you're working with cohorts of higher ed institutions in a two-year program to make their, to make institutions more support just the structure of institutions which are not built for um, students with kids i mean especially undergrads um, but to make those more hospitable environments can you talk a little bit about that and how folks uh, who are listening if they're interested in the future how they might yeah get in touch
2: absolutely so we our scholar program has been running in the dc metro area since 2010. we're in the process now of actually replicating our scholar program to another city outside of the DC area. Oh. It's been the number one question that I've yeah. gotten is, since what is starting that? the organization. <laughs> I can't tell you. Oh my <laughs> goodness. That's fair, but I'm dying to know. I know, <laughs> but, the, but I can come back on once we're up and running in the new city and, oh, yeah, please and share do. a little bit about it. Yeah, I'd love that. But, um, so that's exciting, but we do what we call systemic change work. And what we were finding is you know, we were seeing these incredible results with our scholar program. Our scholars graduate on par with the national average for all college students, about eight times the rate of single mothers in college nationwide and almost double the rate of low-income students. So we were really seeing that this intentional support moves the needle for this population in terms of completing, right? And so at the same time, we were working with 20 different two- and four-year schools and saw that there were these significant gaps across higher education. Mm -hmm. And really, most institutions were struggling, if they were even thinking about this population, they were struggling with how to really create a family-friendly campus, how to really show up for these students. And so we were well-positioned to really be a partner with higher ed and to say, let's work together to create more family-friendly campuses across the country. So we do that both in kind of customized consulting with colleges and universities, as well as a two-year cohort program, um, all under the umbrella of what we call Family U, which is our technical assistance program for higher ed organizations. And we've worked with um, over 11 institutions all across the country from California to Virginia, to Wisconsin on various um, aspects of their parenting work. And we really look at four key components of, of student parent work, data, which is really important, collecting the data that you need to inform your decisions. Most colleges and universities are not tracking the parenting status of their students, which makes it really mm-hmm. hard to actually implement supports for them. Um, the second is uh, policies. There are so many policies, big and small, that can marginalize this population. An example is a no kids on campus policy, which is pretty prevalent across higher education. And how can we help colleges really look at their policies and say, hey, we want to do things a little bit differently differently? Um, Then people, the role that people play in making sure that parenting students feel supported and included and belong, belonging on a college campus, anywhere from your frontline staff to your, your faculty, all folks need to be on board with how important it is to support this population, and then your culture, and mm-hmm. your culture is those, are those tangible and, and, and non-tangible things, intangible things, you know, do you have diaper changing stations in your bathrooms, um, or it, as well as, you know, do you have pictures of your parenting students in your marketing materials so that you're communicating mm-hmm. that this is a family-friendly institution, so really looking across an institution through the lens of those four key components, and then helping those institutions implement supports that actually, um, you know, make sure that they're leveling up their student parent work. So we're really excited about it. It's been um, an incredible journey with some awesome higher ed partners, and and we'll be recruiting our third cohort of institutions in the coming months.
0: That's fantastic. Uh, really, uh, your, your work, your organization is so inspiring. And I, you know, I encourage folks to read your memoir. Um, and you. I just want to also thank you just for the I know it's a deliberate choice to be, to not sort of present a, a perfectly polished version of the life you've had. You know, it'd be very easy to say, oh, look at this, you know, CEO of this amazing nonprofit. Mm-hmm. You know, she did it, so anyone can. But you, you chose yeah. to show all the uh, the realness. The, there are things where, you know, you start off the book um, in, in a woman named Stacy's car, who's smoking crack. So from the immediate yeah. beginning, we're like, oh, okay, we're going to get the, the real version, but I just think that <laughs> that for both students, um, you know, teenage parents, but also anyone reading the book, um, it's just, it's so um, well-written um, and authentic. And, and I think it it will only elevate the work that, that Generation Hope is continuing to do. And we would love to have you back on. Yes, when you please come new- back. Oh,
2: thank
1: you. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I was just going to echo everything Casey said and said, like, sincerely, this impacted not just my capstone project, but like folks in my cohort have read your book. Like folks in my cohort are now thinking differently about this population of students. Mm -hmm. And we are all future student affairs professionals. So um, there's conversations happening and I'm really honored to be a part of this one. But I hope that we can connect again once you make that big leap into a new city.
2: Oh, I would love that, and I I really appreciate that. I I often tell folks when I first went to went to write the book, I was thinking, oh, like let me just like leave out mm-hmm. <laughs> some of the parts, and then I was like, you know, the world already has a sugar coated version, yeah. you know, they, that that's the problem, right? Yeah. And so, um, and connection happens in vulnerability, so I yes, think it. Does. it I'm so glad, you know, that I, that I was able to, to push through that, that those fears and to Mm -hmm. to write a more honest, uh, uh, book, but I'm, I'm so honored to have been on with you all and excited about the awareness that the book is bringing and would love to come back as we name our next city.
0: Open invitation. All right. Well, Nicole, thank you so much. And we'll talk soon.
2: Thank you.